Hello, this is Kathleen Mercury with Games and Schools and Libraries, part of the Inverse Genius Fine family of products. And I'm here with the lovely Angie Hoffman, who is a game designer, um, digital and tabletop, in addition to uh, design and teacher out in California. And so she's got all kinds of really cool experiences, you know, both from everything from like how she got to where she's at, as well as with the work she does. And I think there's some really cool things we can talk about, um, especially, you know, for tabletop games versus digital games, the benefits for kids, um, because there's some really big um, ideas floating on floating around out there on them. And that's where we are. So Angie, how are you? I am doing excellent. It's a beautiful day out here in California. Oh, I'm so jealous. Uh, where I'm at in Missouri, the Department of Transportation said that everybody should be off the roads by about 6 p.m. And my darling honey won't be home probably until about 10 p.m. So we'll assume he'll slide on it and it'll be great. So I'm jealous that you have the wonderful California weather for you. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself first. Um, like, Where can people find you um, on the wilds of the internet? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Twitter. So like if people want to reach out to you via Twitter, what's your handle? My name is Spring. My handle is Tesla's Little Pigeon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. We met um, on a Facebook post um, on one of the various board game groups out there, and you had posted a question about game design. And uh, I think it was Sen Fulin who saw it, tagged me, and, you know, and so we just, you know, I said, oh, I've got all kinds of resources. And then we just started messaging, and it was like, hooray, fun. Like, it's always great to meet somebody that, you know, does something similar to what we each do, obviously, and, and another woman to boot. And as I found out when I was looking on your Facebook page, where you are two weeks older than I am, so you can hold that over me. But tell us, though, so tell everybody a little, I know, right? Um, tell everybody about yourself, your background, and where you got to where you are right now and what you're doing. Okay, no problem. Oh gosh, as far as the game industry, I started in 2004 after a career in law enforcement. Um, Let's just say I'm not aggressive enough. It didn't work out for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I started in 2004 at Mythic Entertainment, uh, working on a MMO called Dark Age of Camelot. Um, And I also worked on Warhammer Age of Reckoning. And then when EA bought Mythic, I took the chance to transfer over to California and got to work on the Sims division. Oh, that's so cool. I have, uh, yeah, I worked on um, the Alice Project, if you've ever heard of it, uh, with Randy Pausch, one of the early um, game engine prototypes that never really took off because EA Marketing didn't know what, like, basically how to make money off it. But if you've used Scratch mm-hmm. or Snap, it's basically the same thing. But we were using oh, Sims okay. assets. Okay, um, cool. I've worked on uh, Tryon's Rift. Um, the people might know most of my work from my time at Zynga, where I was the first female game designer they hired. Yay! Not a big distinction so cool. because I think there's only 12 of us in the whole industry. That's changing, uh, right? <laughs> Not fast enough, but I'm so glad you were there. Yeah, I got to work on Frontierville. I was literally the voice of Frontier Jack. Yeehaw! Oh, that's uh, cool. <laughs> um, so you're left- a celebrity, too. I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> I'm, I'm also <laughs> a character in World of Warcraft. So um, <sighs> one of my friends that I worked with Mythic worked 
at Mythic with, that was harder to say than I thought. Um, mm-hmm. She went on to work at Blizzard and put one of our my D&D characters into Hellfire Peninsula when that mm-hmm. expansion came out. So if you've ever gotten a quest at the top of the tower in Hellfire Peninsula from Angela the Claw Kestrel, that is me. And you will see what Brianna thinks of me because she's a zombie with a satellite dish on her head. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Um, Gosh, that's so cool. I, uh, I, just, I have to know... Have you met Leroy Jenkins? No. I have not met Lee, but I, I know very well the story of good old Leroy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like one of the best things on the internet. I swear to you. Okay, but go on. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's a, like, he's my Patronus at the beginning of every semester. Yes. You know, let's do this. And I just like rush into the semester before everybody else is ready. Yeah. Anyway. No, um. you're no. Cause like with my students, like kind of getting them to wrap their heads around the idea of like, this is going to be a hot mess, but it's going to be fun. And I think that's totally how you have to approach this. Cause otherwise you could overthink your way out the door if you do that too much. Yeah. Um, I, when I left Zynga, I decided I wanted to do something a little different with my life, but I'm also in love with being a game designer, so I didn't want to let go of games, but I wanted to make my corner of the world better. It's it's always been like one of my purposes in life. So I got to work with Zynga.org, their philanthropy division, to create a product called the Game Design Academy for San Francisco Unified School District. Mm-hmm. And it started with only 12 kids. It's now grown to almost 400 in several schools. That's awesome. And it, the idea was we need more kids, especially young women and um, kids of color in computer science, but they're just not interested. It's kind of I saw it as they're teaching it in a boring way. No offense, computer science teachers. I'm so sorry. Um. <laughs> no, I, but I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, like w- one of the reasons why I have so many girls that design games is because they don't have a choice. You know, yeah, they're in the gifted program. You do this in seventh grade with me, and you know, and it's amazing because you do see. I had one girl this past semester who complained about it the whole time, and on the last couple days when the you know the projects were done, kids were able to play test each other's games you know, just play other games, and she was working on a whole new idea, and like, I mean, you couldn't have had a bigger 180 than this kid did, never would have happened either one idea if she wasn't, you know, if someone hadn't put this in front of her and said, you can do this. I totally agree with you. That's awesome. I I chose the two toughest schools in the city to start with because I'm kind of insane. But I also figured that if I started at a more well-to-do school like Lowell, where um, these kids have had iPads since they were toddlers, I wouldn't be proving the same point. Mm -hmm. That computer science is accessible to everyone. Yes. Yes. And it really grew. My partnership with Zynga.org was absolutely phenomenal. They offered my high school kids paid internships over the summer. Um, so these kids, if they passed the interview, they only chose um, four a summer, and mm-hmm. we made them fight for it, <laughs> not right. literally in a pit or anything. Um, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> like for all the games I've worked on, this Game Design Academy, this educational program is my proudest work. That's so, so cool. So in a and it's, so it's still perpetuating. Yeah, I fell in love with being a teacher. Yeah, well, you know what? It's a pretty fun gig. You know, I'm a little biased, obviously. So how did you get into, <laughs> so you're still working with the foundation and in addition to doing your teaching work? I've actually sadly had to move on from the Game Design mm-hmm. Academy because I could not afford to get my clear credential. Ah. Um 
the dream was to teach, but the paperwork held me down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I passed the program on to other people who mm-hmm. did have a credential, and I now work at the university level as an yeah. adjunct. Well, and that's the one thing that I think, um, you know, especially because certain states have different, like, alternate paths to certification when it comes to teachers, especially when you have skills like that that are so specific. You know, I have uh, a master's degree in educational technology, but, you know, I mean, that's obviously after I got certified, but I think you're probably more skilled than I am in some things that, you know, when they plug in and all that other stuff, you know, and it is, it is a bummer when, you know, I mean, there's good reasons for them, but that's frustrating to hear sometimes when, you know, people who want to do more in this, in classrooms and schools, especially if you're proven to have an impact where that can be difficult, but we could do a whole, whole episode on the schools and states and laws and stuff. But now you're teaching, so now, yeah, so now you're teaching at the university level. So what are you doing there? Um, I teach at Academy of Art University, Uh and I teach several classes, both on-site and online. Um, I teach game engines, um, the history of games, game theory and analysis. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, as well as a, um, oh gosh, what do they call the high school program? There's a program they have over the summer where local high school kids can take our classes for free to see if they might like going to an art school and being a game designer. And I was one of the very first to volunteer for that. Oh, that's super cool. (laughs) Um, When it comes to teaching, you know, online versus classroom, which do you like better? And what do you think are like the strengths, the weaknesses of either one? Because I've taken classes um, from, I have two masters. One was entirely classroom and the other was entirely online. Um, from your perspective as the teacher, what do you think about that? Oh, wow. This is something I've actually put a lot of thought into. I have a master's degree that I earned online, Mm -hmm. and I had an incredible experience with it. But do I think the future of education is entirely online? Uh, no, I, I, um, I think that the best way forward is probably a hybrid of both. And, um, sadly, I don't really know of any established, uh, programs out there that do what I have in mind as a vision for, uh, how I think this next generation would best learn. I feel like we need to meet them halfway a little bit in, in their medium and their medium is very digital. Right. Um, but yes, there, there's a, you can't escape the power of one-on-one interaction and being able to like read the room as a teacher and know who's struggling when yeah. they won't speak up. Yeah. Um, well, and the one thing uh, too is that I was really surprised by was how little, um, you know, like Google Hangouts, where you can have so many people vir- virtually sharing a space, at least for the program I was in, and I would hope others, you know, things where you can have so many people all around the world, you know, talking and sharing that same sort of live experience, where you can at least have it where it's not like you're making a post and you check back, and two hours later, no one responded, but oh, three hours later, you know, someone else did, and you can write a response to it. It's just not the same thing as when you're having a dialogue. You know, you're crafting your responses when you're online versus when you're talking to somebody. It can just be a more natural, even kind of flow. I think sometimes... I mean, obviously, like, you know, the anonymity and all that for is great for trolls of the internet, but sometimes I think it's also a good thing um, for people who, like, if you really needed to craft a response, you've got some time to do so, um, more so than when you're actually having a discussion. You might, you know, push yourself to go a little bit deeper and write that before you post it. But also, though, sometimes you just lose having that immediate feedback where you can shift your thinking much more quickly, you know, just depending on how you're bouncing ideas off other people. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I've noticed that uh, with my kids where I have created an online portion to the class for them to check in after school or classroom hours, mm-hmm. the um, one things that does make me happy is those kids that might not pipe up in class or ever raise their hand. I was genuinely that student. I would never raise my hand because asking a question meant I didn't know enough and I was weak. Right. Um, but I was very smart. I just was afraid to talk. Right. Those kids will very often speak up online. Mm. And that makes me happy. And that's why that's one of the like several dozen reasons I feel that um, the future is a blend. Right. Of both. Yeah. Um, so which classes, so which classes do you teach online and which classes do you teach? I know I'm really interested in this because especially after my own experiences, um, that's what I'm really interested. Um, so when it comes to, you know, like a practical course where you're doing more of like actual like programming, coding, you know, and doing that, does that work better more online or in person? You know, I mean, cause there are times where like I would work on Photoshop and I would get so frustrated when I bang my head on the table, you know, trying to do what I was trying to do in Photoshop. It was, you know, not working and I would get frustrated. It's like, well, if I was just there in a classroom, I could raise my hand. But then there were mm-hmm. other times where, um, it didn't really seem to matter, you know, if I was like a discussion class, like, you know, before just post something. Yeah, I had a, I taught for the first time online this past fall semester, and it was um, introduction to game development. Just like this is the game industry, and uh, and this is a game engine. Touch the buttons, you know. <laughs> it was very basic, but um, so I don't really have a good comparison because I've only taught the one class online so far. But it did have a good blend of. Um, discussion topics like what is a game designer did you know there are several different kinds of game designers and this is what they do and their jobs are rather different um and then we're going to prototype something very simple using uh, primitive shapes in maya to give them an art project um it i i think that the students struggled more with the technical portions online um and I tried to make myself as available as possible through Discord and through the forums and email. Uh, but not being on site, you lose stuff like access to the lab where there are experts available even outside classroom hours. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Well, it's a good okay, question, so though. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take this idea of like digital versus tabletop and kind of go um, a little bit bigger. When it comes to working with students or even like for yourself, um, what are the, what to you are the benefits of digital games and what to you are the benefits of tabletop games? Hmm. Wow. That's, that's a big question. I'm really good at big, big giant questions that it's like, well, um, I mean, cause just think about like, so obviously there's a lot of, you know, in between, you know, I like the game Katana a whole lot. I play a lot on the app because getting, you know, at least three people together with me when I want to play Katana is a little bit harder than I'd like it to be sometimes. So I play the app like all the time, you know, so in my mind, that's, you know, it's like a, obviously a blend between the two, but you know, so as, as far as for digital games, um, you know, with tabletop games, you always see the benefits, I guess, of just you know, you're at the table. Whether it's competitive or cooperative, there's a lot of just, you know, interpersonal dialogue going on. You know, there's negotiation, social skills. You know, all those things are happening, you know, around the table. But what 
so some of that can't happen as much in digital games, you know, and I'm just thinking of like, you know, like online games where kids are, you know, playing against whomever, you know, doing whatever. I don't play a lot of online video games, so this is like, I'll be sounding like a grandma at this point, I think. But like, what benefits, you know, like, should parents be concerned when their kid wants to put on a headset and disappear into the room for four hours? How about that for a question? Both versions of games are social. Um, I know when we talk about social games, most people don't think, ooh, board game. Um, but a lot of your tactics when you're playing a, a board game with other people, whether it be Ticket to Ride or Settlers of Catan or Go, um, you're using empathy. You're trying to read the other players. Are they really trying to work with me when they're asking for more sheep? <laughs> or are they going to take me over in three turns? <laughs> Yes, if all goes um, to plan. And those yes. are important skills to learn. <laughs> and while, okay, say your kid jumps into a very popular MMO, mm -hmm. you could consider that a social game. There are thousands, if not millions of people online, but you can play that game very solo and very anonymously. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so have you, have you, have you met, <laughs> this is really personal, I guess, not what I mean. have you met friends online that you then met and then like played outside of or like got together with outside of a game oh i had a relationship start because i met someone in an mmo and i married him and then divorced but i did get married to a guy i met in a shard of neverwinter nights that i built oh that's really so cool. i built a video game to play with my friends and this guy jumped in because it was the early days of the internet it was like 1999 uh -huh. and um he started playing my never winter nights shard and we ended up talking and hanging out and then visiting and it turned into a 10-year relationship well, there you go um i also have friends that i've played ultima online with um, forever ago for many, many years. And not all of us have hung out in person, but I'm still friends with them and they're all over the world mm -hmm. and they're architects and teachers and, you know, yeah. solar paneling installers. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you, you obviously, you know, as, as an adult, you know, obviously there's a lot that you know in terms of common sense and what you do and how you do it, you know, um, you know, you don't have your social security numbers, you're logged into everything, that sort of thing. But for kids, right. What are things that, what are the benefits for games for kids that you really want parents to know about? Because there's a lot of concern, you know, about how much time kids spend on devices, what they're doing on devices. What are the things that parents need to know or not just like the A, don't worry about, but also this is what you absolutely should be having your kid do. Yeah, that's really good, especially with what's been in the news lately about digital devices being bad for children. Those of us who work in tech, um, I, I think would mostly agree, but that doesn't necessarily like spill over to mean that all games are bad for you. Uh, one of the things I've embraced as a teacher is to be a good educator, to create um, powerful students. You want to do more than just teach them the content memorization to pass that test you want them to become critical thinkers right. you want them to be able to on their own figure out you know um is this person lying to me or not based on truth and you know be able to use empirical evidence um and i've been able to do that through games mm -hmm. yeah um it's more than just memorization you you have to learn how to accept failure do you remember the first time you played super mario brothers level 1v1 mm -hmm. yes 
And my favorite was level um, for Super Mario Brothers was uh, two two because it was the swimming the, the one where you got to swim through all the pipes, and that was my oh fa- yeah yeah so that was my <laughs> favorite one. So I'd always play you know and I didn't we didn't have a um, NES but the kids we babysat across the street did so I babysat for them whenever I could um, <laughs> and um, I try so hard to get through. I was like, please don't let me die during two one. Please don't let me die during two one because all I wanted to do was get to the fish and just to be able to like swim and do all that other stuff that was my favorite level yeah and it's funny because i didn't really care too much about going beyond that like i could have just probably played that level over and over again because i just liked it so much but i'm definitely somebody that can play the same game over and over and over again there are other people like no must be new and i'm like "Eh, i like this one you know (laughs) no just just based on your description right there talking about your favorite super mario level and what it taught Mm -hmm. you compare that to like your average like okay we're gonna read this chapter and memorize the vocabulary right like I'm not saying one's bad and one's good. I'm right. just people I need, just yeah, believe like, that layering them is more right, powerful. Right. I mean, like there needs to be at some level some sort of like shared human knowledge that we have, you know, from in order for our civilization to persist. You know, there are certain things like the idea of a constitution. Like we'd need to have that kind of persist as far as an important idea, you know, for America to succeed and prosper as a country. You know, there's certainly things where, you know, you just need to know that you live in a state and you live in a city and a county and all those other things. There's plenty of factual information. But, I mean, and that's one thing that I do like about game design is, you know, it's a relatively, at least for tabletop, and, you know, there are many game designers out there probably rolling their eyes at this one, but relatively small amount of information. I mean, and I mean in terms of what I present to my students as far as the technical aspects of game design. I could hammer them on all kinds of other stuff, you know, and I've tried various things over the years of, like, you know, playing, you know, pirate Pirates Dilemma. <laughs> That sounds fun, actually. I'd play Pirates Dilemma, like, hmm, should I pillage or should I drink all the swill? Um, no, so, like, the Prisoner's Dilemma, like, I've done that and stuff like that. But for the level they're at in middle school, you know, they can handle that complexity. That's not a problem, and, and that's fine. But really, it's that problem-solving process that is, you know, really so important as far as that goes. Now, when you have your students working together online, do they do a lot of collaboration you know, playtesting of each other's products, or is it more just independently and you're their main contact? Um, I do have them uh, play each other's content, learn how to be a good quality assurance tester, how to write a clear and reproducible bug. Um, so one, that's not just teaching them to uh, become an entry-level game dev, Um it's also teaching them technical writing skills, which aren't always taught at uh, an earlier oh, yeah. level. I'm curious, have you ever had any experience in a video game where you learned something by accident, but it was super powerful? Because I have an example of that. I'm sorry. Like, I just thought of it, and I'm super excited to share. <laughs> um I have historically been bad at finances, Uh and that is not something that I was ever taught growing up and speaking to other people. This is pretty standard for public education. I learned to be better with money by um, playing with the auction house in World Hmm. of Warcraft, and it was completely by accident. It's not something I set out to do. It just happened. So explain how that So explain, (laughs) go more in depth and detail for people who are unfamiliar with it, like myself, what that means. (laughs) <laughs> okay Just call me grandma um, the kathy. Auction house kathy. kathy grandma kathy wants to know how do you play the the warcraft game good tell me that <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm not 
laughing no, you at you. It's cool. I'm I near laugh at you. myself all the time. Um, <laughs> um, World of Warcraft is a messy multiplayer yes, online you know game. Leroy Jenkins. So God. there's that. The, okay. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, the the auction house is a place where you can find things that other people, other players have put on for sale, or you can sell stuff outside of like, okay, so there's usually like the NPC traders where you can buy your standard boots of like, I just killed the deer. Um, uh, if you want the good stuff, like maybe you don't have time for a raid or maybe uh, you've done the raid three times and uh, you're a warlock and your gear never drops, but you've got a lot of gold because you've done the raid three times. So you can go to the auction house and find someone else who has it up for sale, another player. And this other player will, you know, put a monetary amount value to this product and uh, you can buy it. I don't know. It's yeah. Kind of cool. It's like, um, it's, a, it's like a virtual mm-hmm. pawn shop. <laughs> yeah. But still, you know what? Learn, uh, like learning to like save your money, hang on to it, save up for a purchase that you want, knowing the relative value of things, knowing when you're paying too much for it, when you're not paying enough for it. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. How to save, how much to save, the motivation to go out and earn more gold. And then I got into selling stuff on the auction house. So I had to learn, okay, how do I find out what is a good price to put up for this awesome, you know, daggers that I got that I'm never going to use, but might be worth a lot of gold so I can buy the warlock robe I really want. Um, So I had to dig into some research, find out how much other people were selling for the product. Um, and kind of without knowing it, these skills just rolled over into huh. real life. There you go. Yeah, I should probably spend more time in the auction house as opposed to just loading things in my Amazon cart because that thing is magic because it comes <laughs> like prime pff, two days. I'm done. Well, actually, okay, so here's the so, yeah. um, question about so because I think especially for parents, um, you know, or for kids who want to get into. Um, digital game design especially um, what are some things that they can do download what are some like apps programs resources what would you recommend that they do like what do you think really does give a good foundation and understanding towards like what's possible hmm are you talking in terms of like having a digital game design product in a short amount of time? It could be anything because I, I, I could recommend an, an well, engine. I've had kids like, for example, in my classes, um, I had a kid who wanted to learn Unity, and then he designed a game using Unity because that was something that he was interested in. Oh wow! Um, you know, I've had kids do absolutely crazy, crazy things with Scratch. I mean, I had one kid who was just brilliant. I mean, the 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 um he showed me the program but it was like cascading walls of things that you had to like move around i mean it looked so much like a real game whereas when i was playing around with it like i had like sparkly unicorns that played music and i was like hey <laughs> you know um <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, so though. like if if, <laughs> if if um you know schools parents libraries want to you know encourage more game design what are the types of things kids could be doing that would give them a real like idea and preparation for anything they want to do and you could talk about as many or as few different things that you think would be beneficial 
Okay. Well, one good thing to start on the the school level, especially lately, is with the free um, game engines mm-hmm. that are out there, especially for um, schools. Uh, for younger kids, the engine I use the most is uh, made in England called Construct 2. Um, it's a lot like Scratch in that it's a visual programming language. You kind of... Um, make sentences but you're still using programming logic like you'll use if then statements um and this is my first introduction actually even to my college students for a game engine um they need to make a 2d platformer in construct 2 and it gives you like you start with a template so all the platformer pieces are there so it takes away that fear Mm -hmm. of the blank space Whereas if I was giving uh, a kid who's touching a game engine for the first time Unity, while powerful and amazing and used by AAA studios, you are starting with mm-hmm. a blank page. And for people just starting to like dip their toe in the water of the amazingness right. of game design, that can be just a right. little too terrifying. Just like, hey, you want to write a book? Here's a blank piece of paper. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and have some coffee. <laughs> <Right>. Bye. <laughs> right. I don't think it's an accident that Think Geek sells a lot of caffeinated candy and soap, and I think they probably sell caffeinated oh, bacon gosh. at this point. You know what I mean? Caffeine and uh, yeah. programming seem to go hand in hand. I have a quick question because I want to come back to this. Which uh-huh. is the right term, programming or coding? Is there a difference between the two? I don't think there's a difference between those two. The big distinction in the game industry is the difference between programming and scripting. Um, scripting is a lot of what I do as a game designer and um, real true and awesome, hi guys and girls, programmers uh, will tell me that that is not real programming, but you're still using programming logic. It's, it's mm-hmm. simplified programming. It's like programming mm-hmm. with training wheels. Um, a lot of the more complex... Uh, Problems are, are, are simplified. I, I just mm-hmm. said the same thing twice. It was really good. But, uh, <laughs> it was worth hearing twice. <laughs> All right. So scripting languages that we've used the most, um, we use C Sharp in the Unity engine and C++ in the Unreal engine. Or you can use Blueprint, which I honestly really love. I kind of prefer mm-hmm. the Unreal engine. I maybe shouldn't say that live, I love that you're but, saying um, it like it's a giant like the- scandal. And to me, it's like, that sounds nice. <laughs> Although to be fair, to be fair, years it, ago I had um, I coached a team of ki- of girls at our school. We had a for bot ball as a robotics competition, and we used um, a variant on the C programming language. And I actually audited a class at the community college in C. So I know slightly more about object oriented programming than maybe I let you believe. But quite honestly, it's pretty shallow my depth of knowledge, especially at this point. But at one point, you know, void it. Why does it start with That's void? Okay, I never got that. But, you know, hello world, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's very counterintuitive. I get that. But yeah, like, that's another sneaky way I like to teach programming to kids is to start them with something like Construct 2, where they're they're using that uh, visual programming language, but not actually having to type the commands, but they're seeing it and they have to put the logic together so that it still works. And then maybe the next semester when we move over to Unity, where we're using scripting and they have to type lines of code scripting. Um, I can point back to their project in Construct 2 and say, hey, to make um, 
say you made a 2D platformer where you have to pick up a key to unlock a door. Let's look at the logic back in this language to see how you do that. And we're going to replicate it in Unity so that now you're scripting the same thing, but it's 3D. That's really cool. It, it, it ends up being um, a great aha moment right. for a lot of kids who have wrong, wrongly believed that they can't do mm-hmm. computer science. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So what about for older kids then? I mean, obviously, I mean, if there, if it's, you know, Construct 2 is going to be cool for little kids, certainly for older kids as well. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I have my college students start there. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Because surprisingly or not, most of my students who come into the game design program at the university, um, I mean, we accept everyone. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people like if you're coming in right out of high school i know your school is an exception but most high schools even now do not teach computer science in any way shape or form so we have to fill the gap we have to catch them up to speed right until the lower grade levels right and catch that's up a, right that's a, i mean that's a, that that digital divide is huge especially you know as it relates to kids because yeah i mean like our high school is one to one our elementary is middle school they're pretty honestly pretty close to that with just the number of devices wow. that we have with the number of kids you know yeah but there's like well we're in a city you know there and there's affluence so those two things make those things possible and we're certainly very thankful for that but especially for kids in more rural areas who you know I mean, gosh, I mean, I'm sure there's some places that still don't have Wi-Fi. You know, if they're working with dial-up, oh, yeah. you know, working with dial-up and, you know, antiquated technology and they don't have the resources to help them, you have to be incredibly enterprising, you know, if it's even possible to try to do this on your own, you know, like, and so, like, closing that digital divide is so incredibly important. And so, I guess, I mean, this is like a side, more current events issue, but as far as, like, net neutrality goes... You know, what do you think is going to be the greatest impact of that? Because that's something that I think, you know, has a lot of people really concerned about, you know, everything from doomsday scenarios to I don't want to have to pay more money or whatever. Like, what do you think the greatest impact of that will be on terms of what you do? Uh, I do think it's going to have a big impact on education, but... um Uh, I I will preface that going forward by saying I I do have a bias on that. I told you I picked the toughest schools in the city on purpose. I worked with a very high poverty population. Most of my kids, like 75% of my kids, did not have internet at home. Mm -hmm. These are not kids who have cell phones. I could not give homework. Right. Um, so yes, the school was providing internet and yeah, maybe they could go to the library, but, um, in some of the neighborhoods, the library is like really far away anyway i right. i shouldn't get too much into that there's there's social issues that well, sure. i can't oh, absolutely. solve absolutely what i think especially for educators like you know we're i think one it's going to the- make the divide worse yeah yeah it's going to make it worse yeah that's a concern that's definitely a concern um yeah. what do you think for you has your work in digital game design had any impacts on your world on your work in table type design or vice versa um yeah, I actually started more in um, the, the digital game design, mm-hmm. but I've been a longtime board game player and D&D fan. Um, sorry, Mom, but thank you for letting me be a nerd. Uh- <laughs> well, let me just tell you real quick, this is not my product, but there's on Kickstarter right now, I think it's called Fay Fairy or something like that. It's basically a 1980s disco. It's a supplement to 5e. 
Um, I think it's very LGBT, LGBT friendly. I was like all over that, like butter on a biscuit. So if you, if you, uh, like if that's appealing to you, you may want to check that one out. Cause that one's live right now on Kickstarter and it looks absolutely hilarious. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So check that out. I'll send you a link and we'll post a link to all the, everything we talk about, they'll post links to all that as well. Um, at when the show is posted. Um, so back to the discussion though, I got all excited and cause it looks like a day. It looks like, like David Bowie. It's like fan, fantastic. It's like all pink and <gasps> light blue and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll be all over it. Oh yeah. My heart for the goblin king. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, um, back to this. So, um, impacts of digital on tabletop, tabletop on digital. Oh, okay. I always believed, um, as a game designer, um, that playing more board games made me a better game designer. Um, I call it research. I make a very, um, rigorous habit. Like, um, a lot of people, like, I, I should probably be spending this time at the gym at least once a week, right? Mm-hmm. But once a week, I play board games and I try to incorporate as many new board games into my life as possible because, um, it's a, great way to learn new mechanics uh-huh. um, uh, and a great way to play a game as a game designer not only to learn new mechanics but when it's a board game you can do stuff like house rules uh, and make your own version of the game whereas I can't make my own version of World of Warcraft very easily or cheaply that's a good point um, Well, so it lets me experiment as a creator and that's incredibly powerful right well and Ian Schreiber he does a lot of work in digital game design and one of the things he has his students do is make paper prototypes so back when I first got started yes. you know he was one of the people whose resources were helpful towards me creating this because there really wasn't a whole lot out there um, for creating tabletop game design. Um, you know, I couldn't find a whole lot of resources. So, you know, so I just had to kind of go with what I could find and then um, go on from there. Um, what are some of your favorite games? Oh, uh, okay. Do, do I need to stick to a category? You can, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> this is your special moment. Okay. Um, okay, the first game that, that stole my heart and kept me inside for a summer becoming skinny and pale was The Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. I had to save Hyrule. Um, so I've been a big fan of the Zelda franchise, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to narrow it down to one game. Sorry. No. Um, <laughs> I had students the other day ask me if I, had, if I knew what Legend of Zelda was, and I was like... Like I was bo- I was alive when it came out. Okay, I was like, go sit down, go sit down. <laughs> Twelve years old. I'm forty two years old. Yes, I know what Legend of Zelda is. But go on. I'm sorry. All right, favorite arcade game. I absolutely loved Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Gauntlet was my thing for sure. Um, I had to be the Valkyrie. I still make jokes about Valkyrie being hungry and people get sick of it, but whatever. That's all right. <laughs> you could be hilarious in your um, own. <laughs> My favorite MMO, probably because I spent a lot of time there and met a lot of friends, was World of Warcraft and Ultima Online. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's two. Um, Can I tell you my World of Warcraft story? This is one of the more recent ones. And and I've made a bunch of references to my age, and I'm fine with my age, but it's but it's like, it's whatever. My point is, is that um, I made some joke about, like, to the kids, like, you know, when you're home at night, like, playing your World of Warcraft, and I even said it, like, kind, like in a joking sort of way, like, you know, placeholder for whatever you do, you know, and kids like, Miss Mercury, I'm like, I know, like, I'm sure, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, okay, so this is my dumb, you know, Grandma Kathy question. Do, do people still play World of Warcraft, correct? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. I thought so. I thought so. The kids looked at me like I was an idiot. I thought so. I, oh, my gosh. This, every day is a struggle. Yeah. Um, legal. It's been a while since there's been a major expansion, but people still pay to play. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, because it's expensive, isn't it? Um, when I last played, it was fourteen ninety nine a month subscription rate. And they had added microtransactions on top of that. And I really can't think of any other game that can get away with that. And I can't believe they did. Sorry. Much love for Blizzard. But that's kind of greedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, sure. No, I, I, I got, yeah. All right. So but other games, other games you like? Oh, Okami is one of my absolute favorites. Uh-huh. Um, if you haven't heard of that, you get to play a Japanese sun goddess who is a wolf. And you interact with your environment by painting on it like a watercolor. Oh my gosh. So if you want the sun to come out, you use your stylus or the Wiimote and you paint the sun in the sky. Oh my gosh. I have like 17 it, girls who I think would be all over that in a second. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing? That amazing. I did um, get to play, some former students invite me over to their house to play games. And so we were just playing board games and stuff and they want, invited me up to see their VR setup. And I'd never played VR. And so like I put the thing on, I'm like, whoa, and looking all around and stuff like that and they're like so we've got this game i'm like i want to be a bird <laughs> and they're like well there actually there is one where you can fly i'm like do that and it was funny because there was like the plank and you had to like walk out on this plank to get to like the little rocket and like i had sweat like dripping down my back oh, wow. and i was just like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god i gotta get the you know like i'm gonna fall and you know and it's stuff like that like it's so like it creates such an immersive experience so quickly you know and then i got the thing and then you know like i'm flying and stuff like that but the thing was is before i got to the actual rocket that you had to get to fly i tripped over my own feet because I was so nervous that I wasn't going to make it and that I was, like, going to fall off the plank. And, you know, yeah, that was another, I guess, there's still been a lot of Grandma Kathy moments now that I think about it. But I got to be, I got to fly, so I was happy. It's all good. Yes, I, uh, what made me think of that is there was one was, like, a 3D goddess. painter, and you got to, like, do all kinds of, like, sparkles all around you and stuff like that. That was pretty, it's pretty magical. Like, for a half second, I was like, I need this, and then I was like, oh, I got, oh, like, with what time? So, you know, whatever. But at some point, that was pretty right? fun. All right, so talk more about games. What else do you like? Oh, no problem. My favorite franchise of the past several years is probably Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed. It looks cool. Um, I... It's it's I get to play a hero that's very different from my own personality. That's always empowering, mm-hmm. right? I get to do parkour off buildings. And since um, I'm a broke college professor who doesn't have the money to travel, I get to travel yeah, the world. That's true. <laughs> and it's a cool story, too, you know? Yeah. And, like, and they've sold, like, hoodies. My favorite is amazing. Black Flag, yeah. because it involves pirates, and I have a soft spot mm-hmm. for pirates. And what about tabletop? What do you like what, um, for board games? Ooh, board games. Um, my favorite board game to introduce to my students is probably Settlers of mm-hmm. Catan. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about my frustration with like teaching board game uh-huh. design to university oh, students. Is yeah. that okay? You'll be speaking to the choir. Um, most kids, like one, let me say, I'm very grateful for what mm-hmm. you do, introducing board games to kids in any fashion. Because by the time they get to me and I ask them to create a board game experience, all they remember is what they might have been forced to play as a child, mm-hmm. Candyland and Monopoly. 100%. 
Do you have fond memories of those two games? Nobody does. They're terrible games. They're kind of terrible. Right. No, and that's the thing. They're, they're terrible. And actually, I gave a presentation back in October about um, for teaching game design. It was to gifted teachers at the Gifted Association of Missouri, their conference. And I was expl- like, it was a whole big, long session for me to explain what I do. And I Googled, make a board game. And I took a screenshot of like the top, you know, like 12 results or whatever came out, only one of them didn't look like Monopoly. One kind of looked a little bit more like Trivial Pursuit because it was more of a circle, but every single one of them was a Monopoly ripoff. And I showed it, I said, this is what make a board game looks like. This is what most people think of when it comes to make a board game. And people, and, and all these teachers are like, oh. I'm like, right. Like, if you want to have kids make games, yeah. you know, you can, but they're going to only repeat what they know because they know such a little tiny amount. I mean, it definitely, with teaching game design, you have to build up gaming literacy. They have to be aware of all the different types of things that are possible because otherwise, of course, all they're going to do is do replicate what they know. You know, I mean, so a lot of what I do is having them see so many different types of games. So at least when they're replicating ideas, they're taking it, you know, there's a lot of different ideas, at least for them to choose from, or they're pulling different ideas from different games and recombining them. I mean, they're not going to be obviously an exact copy, but there is definitely gaming literacy that needs to be built in order to design good, unique, innovative games for sure. Yeah, one of the things I have them do to kind of break them into the process, because almost everybody is familiar with Mm -hmm. Monopoly, and almost everybody agrees it's kind of, like, Mm -hmm. terrible. Um, uh, Before they make their own board game, I make them reinvent Mm -hmm. Monopoly. Let's make it fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, because that's the thing, too, because cause when I say, like, to my kids, because we're starting the semester as well, you know, and I love just throwing it out there, like, oh, yeah, Monopoly is terrible. They're like, what? What? And I'm not, I mean, Monopoly can have its moments. If, you, if your family has, you know, if, if your family has cherished moments of sitting around the table every Saturday night and you play Monopoly and you have a great time with your family, nobody's complaining about that. You know, Monopoly is the most purchased right. game in America. It's not the most played game. At our lake house, we have a copy of Bass Fishing Monopoly. No one has ever played it because why would you play Bass Fishing Monopoly? And in fact, I think it's missing the money because I stole it for a prototype I was working on and no one has ever found out because who <laughs> in the world is going to play Bass Fishing Monopoly? You know, so I'm told you found a use for yeah, the I'm game. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I mean, what I, what I just have my kids do the first week, which is what we've been doing, is I just have four different games out on tables, and they sit in a group and they play a game, and the next day they play the next one, and the next day they play the next one, and just in four days they just immediately see there is so much more out there. You know, last semester this one kid he played Deep Sea Adventure, a game from Oink Games. It is adorable. It's fantastic. It is a roll and move, oh, cool. but it's got definitely some twists to it in terms of that. It is a great fun game. And as he's walking out, he looked at me and said, this is the best game I've ever played. And I was like, and we're only on day one, (laughs) you know? So I think especially for kids, you know, just getting access to so many different types of games. I made a post today, actually, in the board game group on Facebook asking for recommendations for games that kids that are innovative and fun and can be learned and played by kids in 45 minutes and like... You know, there's tons and there's so much out yeah. there that I can possibly do. But I did get some really great suggestions. Uh, but yeah, That's but it is awesome. that gaming literacy piece that they have to have. And especially for you. And well, I mean, I have a lot more time. I, well, I mean, I have them for an hour a day, every single day. So I can get a lot of kind of gaming into them over the course of the semester for their projects. How do you build up that gaming literacy 
you know, quickly. You have them for a semester, but, you know, you don't have them in as much of a contained, you know, environment like I do. That's actually been a struggle for me. And one of my um, big pet projects at the university, um, because, okay, so I make them reinvent mm-hmm. Monopoly, but they don't know pretty much any other mechanics than those right. found in Monopoly. So they have to do research, go out and play other board games experience them, find other mechanics. Well, whereas when you're a fine artist working at a university and your professor says, hey, I want you to paint this butterfly. You can go to the library and check out a real specimen, not a live specimen, but you can look at a real butterfly to paint or draw. We don't have that for games. Well, and some libraries are definitely, and certainly, you know, I hear Donald Dennis uh, tap dancing in the background when I'm saying this, especially, you know, like some libraries are working really hard to to build up gaming libraries as well so that you can go and check out games too. But, you know, the thing too is like, I mean, I believe very much, you know, in paying artists for their work um, and paying companies for their work. And I was just thinking, well, you could make a list of like required games for them to download and play. Um, you know, cause most have, you know, you know, computers can play against and that, or they can play online against other people and stuff. And that's really super cool. And at least they would be doing something, but it's like, that can add up really, really quickly, you know, to have, if you've got a game that's, you know, five or $10, then that can add up really, really quickly for games they may not get, you know, the full benefit of, you know, but at least something. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But I think, you know, as well as I, that the board games i'm looking at those mm-hmm. behind you they they're a little more than 10 yeah. well no 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 but like but like the digital i'm, 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 I'm like this is just one wall of board games behind me I, oh that is glorious yeah, well, that's you know, beautiful you, you data gaming boy this is what happens um well but even no, i'm talking about the apps you know because you know katana will set you back you know 35 oh, yeah. you know 40 50 bucks depending and the app is i think you know five or ten so you can at least you know and then you know like i have it on my phone so if, you know, little Tommy upset, I'm going to go play Catan or something like that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it's a good go-to game. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Well, I do too. I, love I do too, actually. But yeah, that's one of my pet projects at the university is we've, um, my boss got permission to very slowly but surely buy a, a couple board games that I feel are really integral to becoming Absolutely. a game designer, like mm-hmm. Viking Chess. And the, mm-hmm. the game of Go. How many of my kids have never right. played Go? Um, and it's it's happening slowly, but slowly. But I feel like there's a big victory there. Yeah, I'm, no, that's I'm proud awesome. of that. Yeah, I mean, because especially it's just you know just getting them to see what's possible. You know, because even if my kids never play a game again, um, and I've had kids who are like, "Yep, this was good," and I'm kind of done with it, and that's okay. But you know, when we have like you know. If they've got like a game day in one of their classes and stuff like that, my classroom is the one they come to, you know, to get games and, you know, and certainly they have their favorites and those are the ones they want to play all the time. I have this group of girls who love Escape Curse of the Temple and whenever they can play that game, that's the one they want to play for sure. That is awesome. Yeah. No, it is good because I want kids, you know, well, with, um, <laughs> that's funny with my students too because especially in eighth grade i mean my gosh there's so many things we could talk about with this but in eighth grade so many of them started getting into role-playing game design and my thing is is if you like it we're gonna make it so we did a i've done a role-play game yes. design unit for the past two years because you know it's like that it's what you were, we were talking about earlier it's like the hot mess idea <laughs> you know it's like i don't know what i'm doing but we're gonna do it you know and like they've come up with some really cool stuff you know so i think that's awesome that's yeah. awesome so let's let's end on this like happy happy note when it comes to 
the children of the world in the future. Um, see, I'm like, I'm so. <laughs> no, I want to sing something. I know, right? Well, I'm so in danger <laughs> of asking some big, gigantic question or big, gigantic thing like, what would you do? But, it, but let's, well, we'll just try it. Okay, we'll throw this out there. If you could have any kind of wish granted, you know, for kids today to become gaming adults, design-wise, players, whatever else, because of all the benefits of gaming, we're just going to assume it's a good thing. What are some things that you would love to see happen for all kids as it relates to gaming? Hmm. Um, to build off of what we were just talking about, I think I'd genuinely like to see um, games being added to public mm-hmm. libraries. That, that doesn't mean, like, libraries need to become, like, big land parties, but why can't there be an aisle of what all those board games behind you right, somewhere? Right. A, a safe place for kids to meet where they know there's games and they don't have to, like, plop down 60 bucks to play Pandemic. Right. Um, well, that's a good thought, too, because I have a, I mean, I have too many. I mean, I have too many. I don't see the... I'll take them <laughs> off your hands. <laughs> yeah. If you were closer, which I volunteer as tribute, that could happen. Um, but that's the thing is, it actually makes me think maybe I should, maybe I should donate, especially to my school library, some games, and we'll put like big notes in it. Like, please make sure everything comes back in this because it could so easily just come back empty or just things missing, and then yeah. things don't work. But um, that would be cool to do, and I'm sure our library would be pretty happy with it. You know, if we wanted to pilot it out with some stuff. So, see, that's the thing. It's like looking at the man in the mirror. Change starts here. It's got to be me. You know. So. Yeah. Yep, you got to be the change, oh, Kathleen. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, I'll do it. I'll, well, yeah, why not? Because I've got a couple tubs worth it. It's like, I don't know what to do with them. So that's a good idea. Well, Angie, this has been an absolute, absolute delight. Thank you so much for um, spending time talking about all these different experiences. You know, what I really want people to take from this especially is, you know, you're just a girl, you know, sitting behind a computer with a headset on. Um, no, I'm kidding. No, but just I love, like, because one of the things that <laughs> – <laughs> that, that I was so excited about was just, you know, like we had a lot in common and especially for, you know, getting more women, more girls, you know, more people so that gaming is a more inclusive place. This is something obviously that means a lot. And especially for you with your experience being a game de- game designer and developer, you know, when there weren't very many of you out there, I think is really, really fantastic. And, you know, the, the expression pioneers get shot, settlers get the land. Well, I, ha- I hope you haven't taken too many <laughs> shots there, but, you know, thanks for being a pioneer. Seriously, like that's super, super awesome. Oh, thank You're you. So welcome. Yeah, one thing I forgot to mention about the Game Design Academy that I'm mm-hmm. really proud of, because we were teaching kids computer science, my um, female enrollment got to 47%. And that is unheard of. That is of. fantastic. Even to like have that kind of percentage at a game con is unheard of. So to actually right? have them, you know, in terms of like content creators and developers, that's fantastic. Well, Angie, I'm a super fan. We're, so again, say where you're at on Twitter if people want to get in, in, in hold of you. I am Tesla's little pigeon on right, Twitter. Excellent. So, and it's L I L, not little. It's little Tesla's pigeon. little pigeon. Tesla's little pigeon. Because yeah. you think of country hick accents when you think of Teslas nowadays. Let me tell you. I'm just yeah. Kidding, I'm just <laughs> I spent too much time on Frontierville. It scarred oh me. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Well, thank you so much for being part of us, and certainly I hope you come back and being on the show. And just thanks for everything you're doing to make more kids into game designers. Thank you. Have an amazing night and dream well. 
Oh, yes. Well, and this is Kathleen Mercury. You can find me, um, of course, on the little website I mentioned about 15,000 times a day called www.kathleenmercury.com. For the record, I didn't know what to call it. I thought of all these other things, and I was like, well, at least if I put my name on it, you know, if I change shifts or directions or whatever, so whatever. KathleenMercury.com. I own it. I'm fine with it. Um, you can also, I'm at Mercury on Twitter. That's with seven M's. And I do float around quite a bit on board game groups on Facebook too. So if you see me, Kathleen Henricks Mercury, I'm floating around on there too. Um, and so I look forward to speaking with other people. I love collaborating. I love talking with other people about games and game design. So give me a shout out if you want to do, uh, if you want to do game design, if you have some ideas, if you think I'm doing it wrong, tell me. I love that sort of stuff. So thanks so much. And we will talk to you next time. Coming to you from Games and Schools and Libraries. Bye. Thank you for listening to Games and Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. Games and Schools and Libraries podcast is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. You can come and play games with me at the Wacomonic Ranch Library in Georgetown County, South Carolina, in Polly's Island. And we'd love to see you. Also, come for ShushCon, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th, where we will be running and playing games. Oh boy, oh boy, it's almost time for the con. I can't wait to do these escape rooms, play the role-playing games, the board games, show off all these cool new coding games. Shush! Yeah, that's the one. No, shush! We're in a library, sir. We most certainly are. It's ShushCon, a games and geekery convention held in Polly's Island, South Carolina at the Walker Monarch Branch Library, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th. It's the best value for gaming in the Carolinas. We'll have the new board game hotness, you know, the good stuff. Classic and indie RPGs, so we'll have Call of Cthulhu, Trail of Cthulhu, Paranoia, Savage Worlds, and Dread. Organized play events like D&D, Pathfinder Society, and Shadowrun. As well as War Machine Hordes, Iron Arena, and Steamroller events. Video games like the Jackbox Party Pack, Artemis, Overwatch Land Party, and a Hearthstone Fireside Gathering. We're a tavern! Woohoo! And we're going to have escape room games and custom-made escape rooms. We'll also be hosting a magic draft. And in the finest tradition of ShushCon, we will have a tea party and tea tasting. So we'll have a variety of tasty teas for you to taste and tickle your tonsils. Taste tea? Oh. We will also record segments for On Board Games, On RPGs, and the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. So you could be on air if you show up here. We're also going to host our librarian trade day again. But this time, we're going to be talking about coding and coding activities for libraries. So if you're a librarian, show up. We're going to focus on coding to play and playing with code. That's March 23rd, starting at 10 a.m. and going until 1 p.m. on that Friday, where we're just going to break out the code and show you how you can bring code into your library in the geekiest way possible. And then, of course, you can stay and play games, games, games. And that's part of the Libraries Ready to Code grant that we just received. Look, that's all good and well, but this is a library. I need you to take it down a couple notches. Oh, yes. Uh, so, ShushCon, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th, Polly's Island, South Carolina. Best value in gaming for all the Carolinas, because it's free. Join us and have fun. Shush. No. ShushCon.